Lord, we come to you giving you our lives. We thank you that no matter where we are in our station of life, no matter our gender, no matter our giftings, we are your people, called your own, gifted with unique giftings so that we might shine your light. I pray, Lord, that more than ever before, through this word this morning, that you would use this in our lives, that we would follow your plan for all of our days and not our cultures, so that this culture would see you and we would see a mighty movement of your spirit in and through us as we seek to follow you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's official. U.S. News and World Report took a survey this year, and they compared housing affordability, health care, culture, all kinds of activities, and the number one place to retire is Cleveland, Ohio. No. <laughs> Actually, Cleveland was 37th. And we made the top 50. I mean, this is the top 100 in the list, right? So Cleveland, we're doing all right, folks. We are the land. But the number one place, according to the U.S. News and World Report, is Sarasota, Florida. Grand Rapids, Michigan was number four. Have they ever spent a winter in Grand Rapids? You know? If you know me, you spend any time with me, you know... One day, God willing, okay, I'm going to put these old boots up on the front porch outside of a mountain on Stanton, Virginia. You know, watch the sunset, you know, just God's country down there. All kinds of good things. Good health care, affordable housing. You can take the train into D.C. and watch the Nationals play a ball game. And uh, Shakespeare Theater, Blackfriars is right there. Great place. All types of culture. Or how about Easton, Maryland? Hey, that's one for you. Get your little house off the estuary of the Chesapeake Bay. Go up in the morning, drop your crab pot out. <laughs> Go back, piddle all day, come back, pull that crab pot up, supper. You know? That'd be all right, wouldn't it? That's living. We think. That's the dream. Well, Reader's Digest in 2000 held up Bob and Penny as the examples of retirement. Bob and Penny took early retirement from the successful banking career in New York City. Bob was 59. Penny was 51. They moved to Punta Gorda, Florida, where they spent their days on their 30-foot trawler, playing softball, and collecting seashells. Living the dream. Is that it? Really? Is that what my life will be? Those of you who are retired, is that the American dream for retirement? Well, God has a view of retirement. First of all, you need to understand the word retirement is not even in the Bible. Okay? It's a Western American particular concept. Oh, yes, we need to slow down. There's nothing sinful about that, slowing down because you can't do what you used to do. That's not what we're talking about. That has to happen eventually for each and every one of us. But 
is Bob and Penny's lifestyle what we aspire to in the kingdom of God? That's what we're going to look at today. Can I have a fulfilling retirement? And it's a subject for each and every one of us. Because, young people, as you live your life today, you are preparing for the future, even preparing for those years and later. So, what we do today echoes in eternity, right? So, I encourage you to open up with me to Isaiah's day in Isaiah 46, because this subject is for all of us. For those of you who are retired, this is uh, just an evaluation. How am I living unto you today, O Lord? For those of us who are currently in the, in the workforce, and what are the expectations as we approach those years? And for your young people, it's getting the priority straight right now so that you don't waste your life, quite frankly. And this is all what we need to understand as Christians. This is all flowing from a vibrant relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. You know, I know that seems strange to some people, but nowhere in religion used in the way that our culture uses it. Every time religion was used, even in the Middle Ages and previous, it was speaking of a vibrant, living relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. So it's through that we set our priorities and our goals and what have you. The book of Isaiah has a lot to say to us because what's happening in Isaiah's day, what we're seeing is a battle for the soul of Israel. Because Isaiah in chapter 46 is warning them not to buy into Babylon's ideas of true worship, but to follow Yahweh, the one true God. All right? Now, so he's talking about specifically the idols of Babylon, you can see in the ESV heading. Last week in our catechism, those of you who were able to do that this week, we learned that idols is really an idolatry, is trusting in anything created things rather than the creator, over and above the creator. And we're trusting in those things for our hope, our happiness, our significance, and our security. So when you trust in anything above Jesus Christ, above him for your happiness, hope, security, significance, that's an idol. And we're so good at it. You know, really, if, it's, if an idol is anything that if it was taken away from you, your life would crumble. You would feel that you're without hope, without meaning, without security, without significance. John Calvin, that famous French reformer in Geneva, Switzerland, wrote, Our hearts are, are natural idol factories. Every single one of us have a great propensity to create idols for ourselves and place them above the God. So let's just admit it, this is an issue for every single one of us. It doesn't have to be retirement. But I'm talking about retirement today because I come from the land where if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times, I just can't wait till I retire. You know? When you're dealing with military, 
educators, teachers, um, government workers, really hard-driving businessmen, they get to that place where they just want to get there. If I heard it, I had a good coworker at La Plata High School. His name was Yulo Regala. Yulo was Filipino. And he kept saying, man, when I get to retirement, I'm going to Myrtle Beach. And I said, that's great, Yulo. Then what? I don't know. I'm just going to get there. Then I'll figure it out. See, God wants more for us. And Yulo was a believer. Okay? So this is for each and every one of us. Because I've seen people retire, not retiring God's way, and they just waste away. And my father was one of them. He said it once, he said it a thousand times, 1984 can't come fast enough for me, baby. Because in 1984, all of a sudden he miscalculated, he couldn't retire to 1985, my mother was furious. They purchased a house, miscalculated the retirement. She had to do all this housework without him because he miscalculated it. And she didn't want to move to Moultrie, Georgia anyway. That was her hometown. She had lived there. But Daddy, no. He's going to Moultrie, and I'm going to help Earl with the bees because my Uncle Earl was a beekeeper, okay, in Moultrie, Georgia. She wanted to go to Virginia, Rolling Hills, all seasons, just live out her days in the beauty of the place she had really come to love. No way. We're moving to Moultrie. So Dad goes to Moultrie to help Uncle Earl with the bees and realize that bees sting. <laughs> I don't like this, so I'm just going to spend my days reading, eating, sleeping. And that was his life, and he died six years later. Six years of living that way. He only worked with Uncle Earl for about six months. And it was over. And so I come to this with a plea. No matter what your age, right now, as Christians, we're living our lives for the glory of God. Each and every one of us, throughout our days, uniquely gifted by God to live and magnify Him. And I do that even as I enter into my retirement years. And not buying in to the idolatry that our culture sells us. To go get a 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. Nothing sinful about having a sailboat. Nothing sinful about playing softball. Nothing is sinful about collecting seashells. But what's our focus? And this is what Isaiah is getting to in this passage. Isaiah, in chapter 46, has lingered over the problem of idols. And he's not going to go one step further until the nation of Israel recognizes their idolatry before God. And if we confess, idols are all around us as well. And we don't even see them. We don't even see our culture. Our culture is what we see with. And so we're influenced by idols in ways that we don't even really notice, friends. We have problems and we never understand their real cause until we understand this issue. So Isaiah wants us to think about this until we see 
and get new clarity that God is our only hope, not our idols. And so we see five great truths about this passage that help us to go further, no matter what our idols are. The first thing we learn in this passage, verses 1 and 2, is that all the world's idols bow down to God. Verse 1, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. These idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Well, who are Bel and Nebo? Bel was the patron god of Babylon. He was the high god, the king of gods and determiner of the destinies of nations. Nebo was his son, and he was the secretary of the council of gods and custodian of the tablets of Babylonian destiny. Sounds something like the Avengers, the, 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 the Infinity Stones, you know. He, but Nebo held the tablets of destiny. Now, the Bible has already introduced Bel and Nebo to us because through the Daniel, we've known about Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, all right? They, their their were, names were from these gods, and these gods represented the ideals of Babylon. In the official view of things, it was the authority of Bel and Nebo that validated Babylon as the lead culture of the ancient world. So, and this was acted out annually at the Babylonian New Year festival. They would put these huge idols of Bel and Nebo on the back of oxen and parade them through Babylon, the city, in a huge parade. And everybody, you know, it was asking that Bel and Nebo would have good fortune on them as a city for the upcoming year. And Isaiah looks at the same parade, and what does he see? He doesn't see Bel and Nebo triumphantly leading the way into the future. He sees them for what they are, poor pack animals that have to lug these huge, heavy idols through the town. He isn't dazzled by this parade at all. He sees the obvious. What's that? If a God has to be carried, how can it carry you? If a God can't help itself, how can it help you? If a God needs your strength, how can it strengthen you? And that's the question that we have to ask each and every one of ourselves as we look forward to the days to come the things that I love to do, my golfing game, my fishing boat, my speed boat, whatever thing you love to do, am I making that, which is a very good thing, an ultimate thing, and placing it above God? Because these gods are going to bow down to God. Secondly, and Isaiah immediately answers, why is that the case? Because these idols have to be carried. The real God will carry you. Verse 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. 
even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. Even to my gray hairs, God will carry me. He carries you through your youth, he carries you through your middle age, and he carries you when you don't have any hair on your head anymore. You know, I was talking to my mother this week, and she reminded me that my hair is thinning and it's getting gray. You can always count on Annie to give it to you straight. And I said, well, I was studying this passage, and I said, well, Mom, thank you very much for that reminder. But even to my old age and to gray hairs, God will carry me, and Mom, he will carry you too. She said, that's good to know. I go, yes, it is. That's the truth. Because you see what Isaiah is saying? These idols that we have in our lives, they won't carry us. It's God who, number one, has created you. You are a unique creation. There is not one person on the face of this planet that is like you, and you have gifts to be used for his kingdom, for his glory, to be magnified. That's a life worth living. But the passage isn't about you and me. It's about how God is great, because what does God do? Not only has he made us, he's created, he bears us, meaning he's the one who sustains us. He sticks with us even when we fail. He bears us. He also will carry us, meaning he'll provide for our every need. Even into my old life. And finally, he's the one who will save. And as followers of Christ in the new covenant, we know that salvation is through Jesus Christ. Because Isaiah is about to get in this passage to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Whose stripes we are healed by. See, our idols won't do all that, my friends. It might be the idol of a relationship. For some of us, it might be the ways we parent, that our kids can be our idols. For some of us, it could be a relationship with someone else, that if they don't favor me, I, my life falls apart. No, the only idol who will carry you and watch over you and sustain you is God in Jesus Christ, right? Isaiah continues. Oh, well, why is that the case? Because God will not compete with your idols. There's no comparing him. To whom will you liken me, verse 5, and make me equal, and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, he makes it into a god, they fall down and worship, they lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place, and if one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. He's talking about the idol of manufacture. He goes, are you really comparing the real God to Bell and Nebo? As they cra the silversmith crafts a little bell and a little Nebo for the animal to carry. You're going to compare God, who's the creator of the universe, God who's born us up, God who carries us, God who saves us with that, God is saying. See the tone here? It's amazing. Think about that just for five seconds. Among all the idols of our day, not Bell and but forget the little idol manufacturers. Take anything that we in our lives have made ultimate. It's a good thing. Even Sarasota 
is a good place, right? Especially in March. I wish I could go, but it's Lent. You know, God bless you, those who can, right? But we make them the ultimate things. And we make it about our lifestyle and our stuff. And all the other false gods of our day. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. The Vedas are dead. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Indeed. And that's the point of the whole liturgy. We keep reminding ourselves throughout this season. He's alive. He sits right here in the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit to empower us. You can't compare with him. Stop it. Because, fourth point, he is the only God. And ultimately, he will judge. Verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. He says, remember this. Recall this incomparable God to your mind and all the things that he has done before in your life. I am the God, there is no other. And you'll see this throughout verse, chapter 45, 46, 47. God keeps reminding God's people, I am the Lord, there is no other. I am the Lord, there is no other. I am the Lord, there is no other. Do you understand that? There is God and there is nothing else. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And again, when it comes to the exclusive uh, claims of Christ, every worldview has to account for it, because every worldview makes an exclusive truth claim. Don't let the universalists say, well, I'm tolerant of others and you're not. Well, that's very intolerant of you to say. You know? That view is intolerant. Okay? We all have a view and we all think we're right. The question is, we can still be friends and we can talk about it. All right? And this, all of the scripture makes this claim. I had a former colleague say to me in our old outfit, well, John just had an agenda. The other writers in the Bible don't have an agenda. I go, say, well, what about Isaiah 46 when Isaiah says, I am the Lord, there is no other. How about chapter 45, where he says, I am the Lord, there is no other? How about chapter 47, where he says, I am the Lord, there is no other? Three times. How about Peter in chapter, uh, Acts chapter 4, written by Luke, by the way, when Peter says, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, they have agendas. They want you to know him and to follow him. Every worldview has an agenda. This is good news that God has an agenda because he loves you. So we live into that. And he will judge. Notice he's, he's warning Israel. 
I will send a bird of prey from the east if you do not repent. They're in exile. Even Babylon's going to be overthrown, and it was. Okay? We don't have Babylonians today. The only ancient people that are still around are who? The Jews and the Christians. From the first century. It's true. So there before my friend, let's sit up. He reminds us here in verse 12, because idols bow down, all our idols will. God is the God who will carry us. He's beyond comparison. He is God. Remember that. Therefore, verse 12, listen to him and not our culture. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. My salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. He said it three times in this passage. Listen, verse 3. Remember. It's another derivative of, of listen in Hebrew. Remember. And here, verse 12. Listen, listen, listen. Remember. My salvation is near you. It's not far off. Don't be hard of heart. Why? Because he has created you. He has borne you. He has sustained you. He offers you salvation. He's the one who died upon the cross that we deserve to die so that we can have the life we didn't deserve to live. That's the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we listen to him. Not our culture for the way we live every day of our lives. Starting from the cradle all the way till I draw my dying breath. That God wants to be lived for his glory and that's where I'm going to find my ultimate purpose. That's where I'm going to find meaning, my significance, and my hope. So it's a full life magnifying Jesus. So can you enjoy a fulfilling retirement? Absolutely. Follow Christ with us. If you're a young person, follow Christ with us. If you're a middle-aged person, follow Christ with us. We're all magnifying Jesus together. Now, of course, you have to plan on retirement. Set up your 401k. Save. Give to the church first. Give to the church first. You plan and you, you save what you can. But this is not a retirement seminar. It's a sermon. Take financial peace next fall. All right? Good strategies on how to prepare for that. But I want us to rethink what does it mean to retire in the kingdom? I want to I encourage you. Maybe those of you who are in retirement or are preparing to retire, Take the first few years of retirement and just come alongside us here at Christ Church and be a missionary with me. Use your giftings for the kingdom. I thank God for my friend Gary, who stuck around with me when I first got here, because I wouldn't have survived without Gary Sabbath, because I didn't know anything about books. He taught me accounting, how to read a spreadsheet, and how to... Is this important? Yeah, that's real important. Is this, not, is this, this is important. No, it's not too important. Okay. And learn how to do all that. He was using his gifts for the glory of God for the first few years of his retirement so that we could hand that position off, and now we pay for it. 
which he gave as a ministry to the kingdom. Thank you, my brother. And I can give you example after example after example of people who took the first three years of their retirement right after they got out of full-time work and spent their lives full-time for the kingdom, for the glory of God. Billy and Minnie Hutchison at Truro. A couple. Billy did the same thing. He was a high-level administrator in the federal government, retired at 65, and spent the next 20 years as Truro's administrator, which I found out later, after he had died, he gave his whole salary back to the church. <laughs> his wife, Minnie, you've heard me talk about her before. Minnie was so gifted with kids. She got so involved in our children's ministry, she had almost 100 kids every Friday night at our prayer and praise service that she ran. She recruited the volunteers. Just sold out for Jesus, magnifying the Lord and blessing these families. It was amazing. We had guys who were just so good with their hands. You know, it helps if, you're, if you own an HVAC company and the church is going to renovate. And we had no air conditioning at Trill. It was awful. You know, Washington, D.C., without air conditioning. Are you kidding me? Well, we needed air conditioning in 1982, and they were going to renovate the church because we were experiencing some growth. These guys who are now retired helped renovate the entire physical plant as a ministry. We need you. We need you no matter where you are in your stage of life. We need you. And if you're overly frail and you can't, you know, contribute like you once used to, I'm putting you on my prayer team because we're the body of Christ. And those people who maybe can't physically do what they used to do are now the knees of this congregation. So you'll be getting an email from me. If you don't do email, I'll print it up for you. The rector's prayer team. Hey, pray, and the intercessors will get it too. The things which we want to see God do through us as this revival spark begins in and through us, dear friends. In closing, in early 2000, the same time that Bob and Penny were cruising on their trawler playing softball and collecting seashells, Ruby Eliason, a missionary from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where John Piper was the pastor, and Laura Edwards were killed tragically in an auto accident, falling over a cliff in Cameroon. Ruby had spent her entire life for one great purpose, to make Jesus known as she administered as a nurse in the villages throughout Cameroon. Laura Edwards was a medical doctor in Minneapolis who would take trips to support her. And so when she retired, she went to Cameroon to serve the remainder of her days, by Ruby's side, as they magnified Jesus among the poor and sick in these hardest of places. So they're pushing 80, and they're going from village to village to village when the brakes gave way on their Jeep, and they fell over a cliff, and they died instantly. Is that a tragedy? No. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny in Punta Gorda because they're going to get to the end of their lives 
as Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, what are we going to present to him? Because the difference in that parable of the sheep and the goats is this. Both people called Jesus Lord. Both prayed, both went to Bible study, both did religious things. But those who heard well done lived to glorify God in all the needs of the community that were around them. All the things that Jesus says to them were going on in that culture at that time. Those were needs that God's people needed to do. You know, visiting the sick and in prison. Well, we visit sick people, right? We take them meals, right? And being thrown in prison by the Romans wasn't a hard thing to do. You know, we forget that there are persecuted cultures just by walking down the street and giving the policeman a wrong look can get you thrown into jail. Talk to our black brothers and sisters about living in Birmingham in the 1930s. Okay? If you're a black man in the 1930s in Birmingham, Alabama, and the U.S. steel mill in Birmingham needed a workforce, it didn't take much to get arrested because U.S. Steel didn't have to pay for prisoners to work the mill. That's what Jesus is talking about. Visit those guys. They're in prison unjustly. We visit, if we're getting thrown into prison, you better come visit me. All right? All right? We're going to visit one another, take care of one another, feed one another, give each other clothes, and those in our neighborhood, and those in our city, because we love our city. See what I'm saying? It's not, I mean, prison ministry is great. We know prison ministers, don't we? Ryan's, you know? Well, Mike, Mike, what's his last name? Swagger came to speak to us just a few years ago at, the, at our men's event. Great ministry. But the point is, Jesus is just saying, what are the needs around you? Get involved with those. Pray, Lord, show me the needs. I don't want to live a selfish life. I want to show me the needs, Lord. And he will. Trust me, he will. Then join him in meeting those needs to your neighbors where they live, where they work, where they play. Maybe you're just that thing. I'll pray for you. I'll meet a need, whatever it might be. Because the people who heard depart from me rather than well done they didn't do it. They didn't do anything. Their gospel was a head knowledge alone, and it had no impact in the culture. That's what Jesus is driving at here. So my friends, the closing question for each and every one of us is, what's our ultimate? Are we turning good things into ultimate things, or is Jesus Christ the ultimate being in relationship in your life and from that relationship I'm the husband I should be I'm the father I should be I'm the friend I should be I'm the co-worker I should be I'm the neighbor I should be first things first can I have a fulfilling retirement yes because I can have a fulfilling life in Jesus let's pray Lord we are so grateful that every single one of our lives count. Every single one of our lives matter because of the cross. We thank you for Isaiah who reminds us to be weary of the idols of our day. They may not be Bell and Nebo, 
but they certainly can be our stuff. They certainly can be our, our lifestyle. And Lord, we pray that you would empower us to live for you because one day we will enter into our true rest, which is the rest that truly satisfies in you, Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.